But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. <clears throat> Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have, will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about six, uh, 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they'll surround us and wipe us out, wipe out your name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you. O Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan. The clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family. And the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward, and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by families, and Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man, and Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to, to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell him what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Achan replied, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was, hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, donkeys, and sheep, 
his tent and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore that place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Super, thank you very much. Uh, this is the part of the Bible that worries me most. Uh, so let me pass it on to you. Let's pray. Our Father God, please speak very deeply to us today, Lord. We do pray, Lord, that your, your Holy Spirit would do his work. We thank you that he is your Holy Spirit and that he has such humility to indwell us. Oh, Lord, please speak, we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you saw the article, but the Evening Standard art critic uh, a, a while ago, Brian Sewell, who's actually died now, uh, uh, wrote about uh, the most frightening experience in his life. And uh, he said days before, at 11 p.m., he'd got onto the district line at Earl's Court to take the train home to Wimbledon, and he was alone in the carriage when at East Putney, six young men boarded, and they were drunk, and they began to systematically destroy the uh, 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 light bulbs, the, the sort of fluorescent light bulbs in the carriage. And one exploded near him, and some of the shards hit him. And he looked up, and one of the boys glanced at him as he looked up, and he said, what are you looking at? And the speaker then walked down the carriage, and he said, I've come for your mobile. And then with a snarl and great menace, he said, and I've got a knife, and showed him the knife. And at that point, the, crane, the train stopped between South, Southfields and Wimbledon Park. We'll never feel good about that again if it happens, will it? And, uh, and um, uh, Sewell, who later got off unscathed, said, I'd never felt fear of the cold sweat and emptying bowel kind. At the words, I've got a knife, I felt the chill of a helpless terror, a sense that my small civilized world was about to be unmade. Well, as we look at Joshua chapter 7, uh, uh, gentlemen, this morning, I pray that you will have genuine fear as we look at it now. I pray that there won't be butterflies, but an eagle in your stomach and a cold sweat as we contemplate what's being said. Interestingly, when Billy Graham trained missioners around the world, this was the passage he would look at. So first talk to missioners. He's doing a, a mission. This was the, the talk he gave, not this talk, but this passage um, uh, before the Cambridge mission, before Haringey gave the same talk. Interesting, he went to this passage. So let's hold on to our seats and have a look at it. Uh, can we look down at the bits of paper, gents. Compared to Jericho, the city of Ai is a minor objective. It ought to fall after very little resistance. In rugby terms, it's an Italy in comparison to the All Blacks. So that's what we've got. Welcome if you're from Italy. But verses 2 and 3, as we look down, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. Ai was strategic. You could control the middle of the land if you took it. Verse 2, so the men went up and spied out the land. Uh, 13 miles away. When they return, they say it's a piece of cake. It's no problem. Have a look down. Uh, not all uh, uh, the army will have to go up against AI. Send two or 3,000 men. Don't weary all the men, for only a, a few people live there. Well, you can imagine Joshua breathing a sigh of relief. Let's delegate this to a junior commander, a lieutenant. Good experience for some of the younger players. Let them have a go. Rather like, I suppose, nowadays, Leicester City playing Chelsea. Let some of the younger men have a go. They can take them out. So that's what we've got. After all, Jericho was a mighty citadel, 
And uh, it had been taken without a single casualty. Not one casualty. So verse 4, as we look down. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gates, struck them down uh, on, on the slopes. Uh, and then at this you see, do you see what it says? The hearts of the people melted in fear. Now, this is the only defeat recorded in the book of Joshua. It's the only time Israelites are killed. And the word melted is interesting. Up until now, the, pe- the, 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 the inhabitants of the land, their hearts melt as they hear the stories and see what the God of Israel has done. So Rahab the prostitute says, when we heard, chapter 2, verse 9, how the Lord dried up the, dead sea, the Red Sea and what you did to Zion and Og, our hearts melted. Chapter 5, verse 1, when the Emirate kings heard how the Lord dried up the Jordan, their hearts melted. It's amazing, the Jordan is a torrent. The, 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 the snows are dissolving, it's a torrent, they dry it up. But now the boot's on the other, on, on the other foot. 3,000 men go up, and they say, we'll be home for lunch, don't worry, no, it's going to be no problem. But 36 were killed, chapter 7, verse 5, and the Israelites' hearts melted and became like water, verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes, fell down on the, uh, on the ground before the, uh, uh, the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders did the same. And Joshua, uh, face down uh, in the ground, he blubbers and bawls out three devastating questions. And they, they mirror the perplexity of his heart. Can you see the questions there at the end? If we look down, gents, at verses 7, 8, and 9. They're all a question, and they all head in exactly the same direction. They're all about snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. So verse 7, the last sovereign Lord, why did you ever uh, send his, this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Verse 8, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? End of verse 9, what then will you do about your own great name? Or you know, they all head in the same direction. And then I wonder if you can see there is something extraordinary that happens at the start of verse 10. You see what, uh, what, what, what's, uh, what's uh, uh, amazing in terms of the beginning of verse 10 and what, what happens there. Have a look down. Do you see, uh, what, can, you, can you see what's uh, amazing there as we get to verse 10? Something just amazing that happens. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing on your face? Now, do you see what he said here, gents? The Lord has said to Joshua, I mean, when does this else happen in, Christ, in the Bible? He says, will you stop praying? No more praying. Get up off your face. I don't want you to pray. Stop praying. Instead, he orders him to judge the situation by the word of God. Verse 11. Uh, This is uh, uh, the heart of the book of Joshua. Israel has sinned. They've violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. And now the words that define not just the, the chapter, but the book of Joshua. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. I wonder if you could underline that that's there. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy what, uh, uh, whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Uh, Dr. Al Martin was quite a famous preacher in the southern states of America, and he used to tell a story when he was uh, a young man of a pastor in a nearby church. 
And apparently there was a prayer meeting each week, and there was an old guy that came to the prayer meeting. And each week he'd come in and he'd say, Oh, Lord, the old spider of sin, the old spider of sin has been weaving its web, weaving its web. Lord, break the web, break the web. And for about a year this happened until the pastor exploded one day and he shouted, No, Lord, kill the spider. Just shouted out in the middle of the prayer meeting, Kill the spider, Lord. Well, that's what's going on here. Joshua says, uh, Stop theologizing, stop praying. Uh, Just judge the situation by the word of God. Now, the instruction was clear in chapter 6, verse 18. When it comes to any plunder found in Jericho, keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the, the, the camp of Israel liable to destruction. So keep away from the devoted things. Stop praying. Judge it by the word of God. I have this uh, uh, reliably from a soldier who's seen active service, that apparently, gents, there are moments in the chaos and commotion of battle when everything appears to stand still. Moments of extreme isolation when time just stops. Extraordinary moments of what you might almost call uh, solitude and peace as the whirlwind rages past. Moments, uh, this soldier told me, of intense isolation and quiet. Well, can you imagine Achan charging with God's people into the city of Jericho? Miraculously, the the walls have fallen down. He enters a house to clear it. And then as the others move on, he lingers for a moment in the quiet privacy and solitude of that front room in Jericho. And verse 21 tells us what happens. He sees what in our terms would have been a, a, a quarter to a half million pounds worth of plunder a Babylonian robe, an Armani silk suit, a Visace dress, uh, uh, two, 200 uh, shekels of silver, a wedge of gold. Underneath the Bank of England, apparently there are 400,000 bars of gold. Each bar of gold is worth um, 300,000 pounds or 350, around that. Gordon Brown, of course, uh, sold it all off. So, uh, uh, of course, the, the gold never moves. It just stays there, but they move it apparently in pallets across to the different countries that own it. We don't own any now. Anyway, apparently, I don't know what's going on, but there we are. So this is this wedge of gold. And as he stood there in the room with just this moment of isolation, you can imagine him saying to himself, well, no one will notice. No one will see. Uh, It won't be missed. What a waste. We're only going to burn them. God can't really have meant that. It's such a good stuff. And in the isolation, do you see what happens, gents? He looked, he longed, he took he lied. Verse 21, when I saw the, uh, among the plunder a, a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing uh, 50 shekels, I covered them. So they're hidden in the ground under my tent with the silver hidden underneath. And I wonder if you can imagine him creeping through the darkness. So he's gone back into Jericho. He's hidden the plunder. He's picked it all up. His heart is beating. He's heavily laden with this plunder. He creeps through. But eventually, wonderfully, he makes it to his tent. It's fantastic. And the kids are woken. And the beds are moved. And they bury it. And then he and his wife, there is joy in the house. Because she's seen the plunder. They've sorted out the future. This will be the down payment on the house. This is the school fees paid. This means the college fees are done. This means the, 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 the car and the holiday forever are going to be sorted. I mean, the euphoria of it. Jericho has fallen, and now we're sorted forever. 
And then, uh, amazingly, the next day, the family that has always camped next door to them, the head of the household, a loving father, a devoted husband, the breadwinner, is killed fleeing from the siege of Ai. And he hadn't even said goodbye to his children because he said to his wife, it's all right, I'll be home for lunch. Nothing to be done. And he's dead. And they bring his body back. And then Achan and his family hear the chilling diagnosis. Can we see the problem? Verse 13. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Verse 14. Joshua gives instructions how the judgment is to be carried out. One man will be picked out from tribe, clan, family, individual. Now, why doesn't God immediately give the identity of the individual? And I think it's to give this person time to confess and also to reveal to Israel this is totally supernatural, give them time to think about it, but it's to give this person time to confess. Verse 15, he who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with that which belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So the question is, what will Achan do? Does he believe the chilling words of Numbers 32, 23? And could I ask you to take this away this morning, gents? Numbers 22, uh, 32, 23, which says this, be sure your sin will find you out. It's a promise. Be sure. Be sure your sin will find you out. Rico, be sure of it. Be sure your sin will find you out. You see, there's always a price to be paid for sin. Or will he flirt with uh, uh, being found out? Put his trust in the belief that nobody knows. Do you know, Jim Packer said, Christian maturity is living all your life in the presence of God. But what we do, you see, in our immaturity is we go, God doesn't know about that. I'll just operate with this little thing here. I'll just make my own rules up. But this says, be sure your sin will find you out. You see, he's banking on Psalm 139, verse 3, not being true. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Oh, can you believe it? You are familiar with all my ways. So Achan, as he hears the casting of lots and its supernatural purpose, of course, gents, is in the valley of decision. John Bunyan called it that. This is the valley of decision. And he des- as he decides whether to confess through the night, please remember what power, kindness, and blessing he's seen fr- that, 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 that God has already done in his life. I mean, in the desert, he's been miraculously fed uh, from water from a rock day after day. I mean, they, you know, they, they'd seen this. Water comes out of a rock. And he'd seen the, the ark come down the valley and the river Jordan, the water in the spring, literally standing up and they walk across on dry land. And the the manna and the quail. And Achan, only 72 hours before, has walked around the city of Jericho, listened to the shout seven times around on the Sunday, and bang, the walls come down. So there are very few so privileged to have seen and had a personal experience of the fact that God provides for his people. The Jordan, Jericho, the manna in the wilderness. God can be trusted. So what will he do? I've got a mate who's uh, an evangelist, and uh, he's, a, he's a good friend, and he was speaking at a school in Milton Keynes. And as he walked into the foyer to speak that morning, there was a boy standing outside the head teacher's office looking very pale. Well, my friend, who's a great bloke but nosy, evangelist and nosy, he looked at this boy who was looking very pale, and he said, any problems? 
And the boy said, well, yeah, yesterday when the bell went off at the end of school, as everybody was charging out of the foyer to catch the bus home, somebody took a fire extinguisher off the wall and squirted it everywhere. And my friend said, well, did you do it? And the boy replied, I don't know. <laughs> you see, it's not that he didn't know he'd did, he done it or not. Apparently, a third of the school had been soaked and the, he, the vice headmaster had seen him do it. What he didn't know was whether he was going to admit that he'd done it. That's what he didn't know. When apparently, again, a, a third of the school had been soaked. So what that boy was doing as he was standing there outside the headman's study was working out whether he could bluff the headman or not. That's what he didn't know. Will I get away with this if I deny it? Well, Achan decides he's going to bluff this one. He's going to bluff it out. So early the next morning, uh, 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 Joshua, by the way, is no procrastinator. We read four times in the book of Joshua that he got up early. He'd have been great for Burning Man. He'd have been here, wouldn't he? And, uh, and, and can you imagine how Achan got an early morning adrenaline rush as Joshua, when casting lots, first of all, cries out, Judah, verse 17. Can you imagine it going across the valley? Judah. And then the sweat starts. The sweat begins as he cries out, the Zerophites. And then his wife looks at him with horror and she clutches a baby to her chest because he said all night, darling, we'll be fine. We'll be fine, darling. Zimri! And then his heart bursts. Achan! Be sure that your sin will find you out. Be sure. Be sure that your sin will find you out. Oh, brothers, we've all, we've all got mates who didn't believe this. Maybe you don't. And please notice that Achan did not confess voluntarily to repent or throw himself on God's mercy. No, this is the product of discovery, not of godly sorrow that leads to repentance in 2 Corinthians 7. It's not like the prodigal son in the pigsty who, who says, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. You know, he rehearses it in the pigsty that he turns and heads for home. That's not what this is. No, no, no. Achan's been found out. He's been discovered. Verse 19, Joshua says, tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. I mean, they're going to look at his tent. They're going to find it in a moment. It's true, I've sinned against uh, the Lord. The tent would be searched. There'd be no denying it. And now it's judgment day, verse 24. Now hold on to your seats. So his silver, the gold, the robe, his sons and daughters, the cattle, the donkeys, they stand in the valley of Achor and they hear Joshua's terrible words ring out. Why have you brought this trouble on us? Now, as he cried out, why have you brought this trouble on us? Almost certainly, he would have pointed at the 36 graves of those who'd been killed in, the, in, the, in fleeing from Ai. Why have you brought this trouble on us? So they would be widows, 36 widows, and families huddled around it, all these, dead, all these graves. Why have you done this to us? I mean, yeah, Verse 25, the Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all the Israelites stoned him, and after they'd stoned the rest, they, they burned them. I, I imagine my two little boys, Peter and Daniel. You know, my wife would be holding Daniel, I'd be holding Peter. Daddy, what's your sin done to us, Daddy? What's, what's it done? They're going to kill us, Daddy. What's your sin done, Daddy? Daddy, what have you done to us, Daddy? And there are two questions here, aren't there? First question, 
Why was Achan's sin so serious? And surely, brothers, it's because of the corporate nature of this passage. Now, uh, this is so foreign to us culturally. We just can't get our heads around it. But have a look, if you would, at the start of the passage. You see what it says, the corporate nature of the passage. Achan stole the gold and silver uh, and the beautiful robes, but chapter 7, verse 1 says, the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. It doesn't say Achan. It says the Israelites. And all the way through the first half of the, the chapter, God addresses Israel as a nation. Now, do you see verse 11? Verse 11. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They've put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites can't stand. And then verses 24 to 26. God's anger falls on all of Achan's family. Now, this is such a shock to us. We can't get our heads around it because we're so individualistic. And so often family units are disjointed. And even the families which are still functional, its members are isolated geographically. You know, my sister lives over in Wantage. My, my brother lives in Southern Ireland. Yet the sin of Achan is so serious because it had a profound impact on the whole congregation of Israel. Verse 12b, do you see? It's terrifying. Right at the heart of the chapter and the book of Joshua. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Because God is holy, he will not dwell in the midst of sin. So he withdraws himself from the presence of his people if they continue to operate in sin. So John Donne said, no man is an island entire of himself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. So this is the issue. My sin affects you and your sin affects me. You come here today and there's something private going on. It affects us all. It affects your church. It affects your family. It's radioactive. I will not be with you anymore. And never were these words more true. One man had stolen the property that belonged to God. One individual in the camp had betrayed God's trust. And the verdict from heaven was not Achan has sinned, but Israel has sinned. And can I say, this principle runs through the whole of Scripture. We're not commanded to destroy things Jesus hates or to stone those who disobey Jesus. Jesus will bring judgment as he sees fit. So Revelation chapter 6, they cry out, I mean, desperate verse, may the, may the rocks crush us rather than we face the wrath of the Lamb. So that will happen on judgment day. I don't have to be stoning people. Nevertheless, we are warned, oh, brothers, we're warned this, that if our home congregations begin to harbor and tolerate and secretly condone what Jesus hates, then we shall find Jesus acting to discipline us and even to withdraw from us. Such that even the tiniest spiritual objective becomes impossible for us. So yesterday afternoon, I saw someone in my congregation, and in terms of the, what I said and what we're stepping this person back from, uh, he started shouting at me in the pub. And then he got up and left. But it affects the whole church unless we do this. And of course, with those moments, they'll always get you back on process. If you didn't get it exactly right in terms of the process, you'll always get attacked on that. But I was shouted at yesterday afternoon. And this is why church discipline is so important. We cannot sweep things under the carpet. Otherwise, we won't even have the spiritual power to take an AI 
Our witness will be destroyed. There'll be no spiritual power in the land. That's the issue. Do you see? It's the departure of the Spirit. I will not be with you anymore. I'm going if you're just not going to bother about sin and, and, and domesticate it. So in the book of Revelation, if we can turn over our sheets, can we see there, the churches are warned to turn and not tolerate what Jesus hates or I'll come and remove my lampstand. You know, that's what, that's what we're told again and again. Ephesus, do you see, remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, I will leave. God says, I'm going. I'll leave. Pergamum, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have those uh, who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I'll come to you and will fight against them uh, with the sword of, uh, of my mouth. Thyatira, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of, of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent from immorality. She is unwilling, so I'll cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. It's not that they're doing it. They tolerate those who do it. Oh, and that's, you know, we, we, you know we're taught to be tolerant. But John Stott said the road to destruction is defined by two things, tolerance and permissiveness. So it's not that I'm doing these things, but I say, oh, no, no, just put our arms around them. It's lovely to have them here. It's fine. Let them do it. And God says, I won't be with you anymore. You tolerate that woman Jezebel and all her immoral practices. So Paul warns the church in Corinth that if the church family is happy as a congregation to tolerate and harbor and condone the rebellious practices of individual members within the congregation, then that yeast will spread through the whole batch of dough such that the congregation, the whole congregation will be sullied. So here's the issue again. My sin affects you and your sin affects me. It's not private. So this corporate principle operates right through Scripture. Yes, we stand before God as individuals, yet as congregations, if we condone and allow what we know Jesus hates, then chapter 7, 12, chapter 7 verse 12b is the principle. I will not be with you anymore. I'll come uh, and take my lampstand from you. And, you know, we at All Souls have sometimes had very, very discouraging times in terms of evangelism. And I, as I look back, I think it is sin in the camp. We had someone who worked for the church who was visiting uh, uh, brothels during the time they worked for the church, uh, then collapsed with HIV. With, uh, they, they'd contracted HIV. And... Um, they had to tell the, their flatmate in order to come home. The hospital made them inform the flatmate of the condition. And when we questioned this person who was employed by All Souls, what they were doing, he was enraged and adamant that this is a private thing and he was doing this in his own private time. And he was working for the church. And I remember thinking, gosh, we are having a very tough year this year. So what are you hiding from God in your home? What is safely under lock and key in some cabinet? 
And of course, don't forget in Psalm 1, you know, that the, 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 the verse ends in Psalm 1, don't sit in the seat of mockers. So we can just laugh at this. We're a culture that laughs at sin. It is radioactive. And I think of my boys saying, Daddy, what have you done, Daddy? We're going to be destroyed. It's not funny. So no matter how secret a sin might be, it's never your business alone. It spills over into the lives of others. It has a contagious power. And we must feel more fear because one man's sin turned God's present from the whole people. One man's sin drew a household to judgment. Be sure your sin will find you out. Now, interestingly here, the sin is covetousness. Just a little bit more. Can you see it's covetousness? Verse 11, he saw, he stole, he lied. Ironically, it was Francis Xavier who said, in 40 years of listening to confessions, no one has ever uh, confessed the sin of covetousness. I've got a wonderful brother. I love him deeply, but his salary is five times mine, my older brother. I came to faith through him. He's just great. I go and visit in Ireland. I visit the home, and I look at the, the life, and I'm, you know, I'm covetous. And, and, and you know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, it's 1 Timothy 6 here, verse 10. Some people, eager for, for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with, with, with many griefs. Just a little bit more, just a little bit more. He won't be content. So that's the, 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 the first thing uh, uh, as we, we look down here. That's the first thing we've got to sort of try and get our heads around. What was, why was it so serious? Because it's corporate. But secondly, how do we get out of the situation in which we might be holding up the work of God? You know, what happens if the shadow in me is casting a shadow over my church? Well, can I ask you, and thank you for coming this morning, brothers... Number one, don't bluff God. Stop it. Stop bluffing him. Don't bluff him. Confess your sins. Okay, so Achan didn't do this until he was uncovered, but it's 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, Achan died outside the camp for his sin, but amazingly, the Lord Jesus Christ took our sin outside the camp on himself. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we're healed. So once more, it might be for the thousandth time, you say, Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry. Please cleanse me. I'm sorry, Lord Jesus. Please forgive me. I have sinned. And I, 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 but what we do with this sin is there are two things people do in a church family. One is they, they get knocked over by something and they say, if you understood me and my family and the pressures I'm under, you'd see I have to do this. So they stay down on the mat. But what we do as Christian men is we get off the mat and we fight again. Even if it's the thousandth time we've been knocked over, we get up and we repent. We repent. So we say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I know this is wrong. Please may my conscience not be seared and the Holy Spirit just step back. But then be ruthless, kill the spider. Kill the spider. Be ruthless, kill it. Flee it. Run from it. But you, and, and, and you know, the, the tarmac runs out. God's patience can run out. And it's interesting what Jesus says. I mean, this is the most loving man that ever lived. 
The man in the Sermon on the Mount who says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, as he's being judicially murdered, he cries out, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. He's the most loving man that ever lived. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than to, when with two hands go into hell or where the fire never goes out. So, so, so join the CIA, the CIA, a place of confidentiality, intimacy, and accountability. I think of Andrew, who's a member of the Congregation of All Souls, and once a month we ask each other this question, what question do you not want me to ask you? That's what we ask each other each month. And um, uh, I lie to him, but not as much as I used to. Oh, brother, can I ask you this morning, what is causing you to sin? What is causing you to sin? What is hidden under, uh, 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 in the tent? What, is, what are the idols, good things that have, have become God things that are doing this? And can I say, be sure your sin will find you out. Stop bluffing God. And my great fear at the moment, my great fear in the Church of England is, is that, is that with the culture moving, you see, is we're forgetting this, and simply what will happen if we don't hold to Scripture is the Holy Spirit will depart. He'll just say, I'm going. He'll just say, I'm leaving. And we won't even be, be able to take an AI. Let's pray. So what is causing you to sin? What is hidden in the tent? A moment now to allow the Holy Spirit to convict you. Now, condemnation is the work of the devil. He just makes you feel terrible. But conviction is the gentle touch of the Spirit. And he's saying, Rico, it is here. This is where there's sin. You must seek my forgiveness and you must now fight to repent. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds we're healed. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that you came to rescue us from sin. We come to you again with this sin that has been besetting. We ask afresh that you would help us to fight. We ask that for the sake of our loved ones and for our church family. We pray, Lord, please help us to fight so that there's not this contagion. We pray too, Lord, for our ability to be brothers in Christ to those around us, to, to ask tough questions, to help them to repent. Oh, please, Lord, help us to protect the women and the children in our church family. And Lord, may that promise, be sure your sin will find you out. May that stay with us until eternity. Please, Lord, be sure. Help us to know those words are true. Amen. Rico, huge thanks uh, for this morning, these challenging words. Um, we've got just over 10 minutes guys uh i think that would be really well spent to 
turn in our groups and to reflect uh, one with another, iron sharpening iron, on how we can apply this in our lives, challenge each other, and then let's pray for each other before we go. Can I, Pat, can I just do yeah, just the other bit of paper here? Let me yes, just do that in two minutes with you, literally two, while I'm helping men fight this. So do you see that you've got that other people, pe- bit of paper there, just, and then we'll pray. But thinking, feeling, choices, physical health, environment. You see the four there? That's my thinking. Those, that's, those are my feelings. Those are my choices. This is my physical health. So the first thing I do is get, get my thinking in place. And what I've got to do in my thinking is I've got to be thankful and rejoice. So when I, this morning as I, I get up, how does God feel about me? Answer, he's delighted with me. Because I relate to him through Christ's performance, not my own. I get grace in place. Rico, you, how does God feel about you? He's delighted. Why? It's because of Jesus. Can you believe it? Secondly, today, sovereignty. Today's a great day because today's the day God has planned for me. If it's good for God, it's good for me. It's a great day today. Why? Romans 8, 28, because he's conforming me to his likeness. All things work together for my good. What's my good? That I'm more like Jesus. So I get sovereignty in place. It's a great day because God is sovereign and he's going to be making me more like Christ. Thirdly, I'm going to heaven. I'm I'm going to glory. It's going to be amazing. So by the way, if it's not a good day, the Bible tells me it's not the end because the Bible tells me the end is wonderful. So if it's a bad day, it's not the end because the end's going to be great, and today's a better day than yesterday because I'm a day closer to heaven, and for the non-Christian, it's a worse day, they're a day closer to hell. Now, what I do is, as I get these truths in place, as I have my quiet time, so this morning as I was looking at my Bible, it was Jesus on the lake, and, and, and the winds and the waves obey him, Rico, obey him. So as I'm looking at my Bible, I'm doing that. And then, I feel my feelings change. Now, what I've got to watch in my heart in terms of sin is resentment. Do you remember Genesis chapter 3? The devil sows in Eve's heart, God isn't good, she feels resentment, and then she rebels. So I've got to be watching for resentment. That's my battle. And I've got to feel my feelings change. So I want to stay in my quiet time until I can feel myself going, no, it's a great day, and he's been so good. And then make choices. In view of God's mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And for me on choices, just to say there are two things I have to have in place. One is I've got a temper. So I have an R call on choices every morning, I go through verses that help me with my temper. And I have an R call, which is A, acknowledge it. Oh, I'm cross about something. Secondly, absorb it. Rico, stop, wait. Thirdly, respond. A, A, R. I can't afford to lose my temper. I'm going to be teaching the Bible. So I, and I go through verses on the temple. Don't give the devil a foothold. Uh, like a city without walls is a man without self-control. You know, I'm just, I'm just working on my anger. So verses on anger. Rico, you can't do it. And secondly, of course, verses on lust, particularly this time of year as all the summer dresses come out. So I've got a number of verses I look at. Your body is the Holy Spirit's. Be sure your sin will find you out. You reap, you reap what you sow. Treat the younger women as sisters with absolute purity. And I go through these verses. Once I was meeting a guy on the steps of All Souls at 7 a.m., and as I was sitting there, a girl came up at 7 a.m. in the flimsiest summer dress. And I'd just been through my verses on lust. And I looked at her and I said, you've got to be kidding, it's 7 a.m., you can't dress like that at 7 a.m., give us a chance. She looked at me as though I was absolutely mad and ran off. Anyway, I don't think she came back to all souls. But what I'm saying is, is 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 that I make those choices. But also physical health, if you've got young children, you know, if you've had four hours sleep on physical health, if you're not doing any exercise, this will impact that stuff. And then environment, what are the people and other things that are hitting me? 
So as I manage myself, I'm saying, Lord, how's my thinking? What am I feeling? Let's acknowledge that. Okay, what are the choices I'm making? Okay, anger, lust. Okay, physical health. I'm exhausted. I only got five hours sleep last night. How's that mean I'm going to act today? Okay, what's hitting my environment? This person keeps hitting my environment. Lord, uh, okay, I'm going to have to, you know, uh, manage that, but I, I feel them hitting that. So I've just got that outline. And the other thing is, is, that, is that I'm looking at my core thinking too a bit, which is, for me, my core thinking is, Tice, you're not good enough. Prove yourself. It's a dangerous world. So that's, that's how I run. That's the unbiblical DNA that was put into me. So what I've got to do is, is apply the gospel to that. You're not good enough? Oh, but Jesus died for me. Prove yourself? No, no, I have his gift of righteousness. It's a dangerous world, yes, but he'll take me home. And that gets in place, so I stop the sort of competition and trying to prove it and just try to serve. Great, let's go and pray, guys. But that, I find that outline is a great help in terms of just self-management.